What's up, guys? I mean, Potters. <laughs> and welcome back to episode 12 of me reading Children of Eden by Joey Graceffa. We are moving at a good pace. Honestly, if I had to take a guess, I would guess that by next week, or even by the end of next week, we're going to be done with this one and this book, I mean, and be moving on to the second book of this trilogy. Because um, we're moving at a really good speed. Um, and today we are reading chapters 23 through 24. Um, so we're moving at a pretty good pace. Also, I don't know exactly how this um, book will end, you know. I don't know when I make it to, like, the... Like, I know how the book is going to end, but I mean, like, when I get to, like, the last few chapters, I don't know if there's going to exactly be two or if there's going to be three. So I'll either um, put all three chapters in one episode and make the episode even longer, which I don't know if I'll be able to do that. Um, but I'll do that or I'll make the last chapter a whole separate episode. Um, but I'll figure that out once I get there. Um, so you guys might get an extra episode, um, if I don't feel like reading all three in, um, one episode. But today we're reading chapters 23 and 24, um, and I'm gonna do a quick little recap because a lot happened the last two chapters, um... And it's been a day, um, depending on when you're listening to this, but it's been a day since I uploaded, so you might have forgotten. Um, so, we'll start with chapter 21, um, with the recap. So, um, beginning of this chapter, um, Lashland and Rowan are going to get Rowan's lenses, except they're giving them to Lashland, that's the plan. Um, so Latchland will get the lenses, go to a school in one of the inner circles, and be able to infiltrate the center that way. Um, and so they finally make it to the Serpentine, which is the place they need to go to get the lenses. And, um, they... There's, like, this electric fence thing, and so they have to make sure they go in the right way so they don't, you know, get shocked and possibly die. So they figure out the right way in, and this girl greets them, this woman, um, and her name is Flame. And so she leads them inside. She is, like, she's very feisty, you know, she's pretty strict, and... Um, when Rowan is like, I'm not going to take the lenses, I'm going to give them to Latchlan, she's just straight up like, nope, that is not going to happen. And we learn that the reason for this is because the lenses are quite literally made for her. Like, nobody else can use them because they're, like, tied to her, you know? Um, Flame says she did, like, scans of her eyes and, like, her brain and everything. And so, therefore, nobody else can use those lenses. And so, then, um, Latchland is like, hey, you have to take my place, and you have to get these lenses. Um, 
and like take my place and go to this school. And they go back and forth a bit because Rowan's like, I'm not like you. I'm not a leader, you know. I don't I don't even know what the plan is like specifics wise. And Latlan's like, I believe in you, you know. I know you can do this and I wouldn't tell you to get the lenses if I didn't think you could. Um and so finally eventually Rowan agrees um that she will take the lenses, take Latchland's spot and go to a school in one of the inner circles. Um and Rowan is like why but like Rowan is just like why do you trust me so much with this? Like how do you know I'm going to go through with it? And he's telling her how she is like constantly fighting for people like Lark and her brother and she's just never thinking of herself really like not like in a bad way but she's like constantly putting others before her and so Rowan is like if I say no will you still help me rescue Ash and he says yeah and so then Rowan says yes because um Rowan knows she can trust him. Because um, he's even offering to still go help save Ash, even though they wouldn't be able to go through with the plan. So, gonna sneak in a little bit of my own opinion. I love Latchlan. <laughs> I love Latchlan a lot. I mean, like, just the fact that he's willing to go save Ash, even though Rowan could say no, is, like, honestly incredible. But Rowan says yes anyway, so it's not something he has to worry about. So, chapter 22, Rowan wakes up after the surgery, and she's hearing gunshots. And, um, then she ends up falling on the ground somehow, and Latchland is- Latchland's holding her on the floor. And he's like, we have to get you out of here. We have to leave. There's, like, multiple green shirts at the front, um, and there's some security bots holding them off, but we need to leave. And, um... So they try to figure out a way out, um, but the way they came in, or like, no, the control box to shut off the electric fence is in the front of, like, the serpentine building. So, and that's where the green shirts are, so they obviously can't go that way. Um, and so Latchland's like, you stay here, I'm gonna go, um, kick some green shirt butt, <laughs> And so he goes out through the door. Well, he doesn't leave, but he's, like, looking out the door. And he thinks that there's nobody there. And so he turns around and he's like, it looks clear. And then a green shirt shoots him in the arm. A green shirt comes through the door and shoots him. And um, the green shirt and Latchland are both, they both start fighting each other. And then eventually the green shirt, like, claws at Lashland's bullet wound, which causes him to, like, fall and go unconscious. And the green shirt doesn't know Rowan's here this entire time, so she's just watching and she's like, please, Lashland, please get up. And then she realizes, why am I waiting for Lashland to do something? Like, the green shirt doesn't even know I'm here. I can just, like, surprise attack him or something. And so she takes this little scalpel blade and she comes up behind him 
and she holds the blade against his throat and she's like preparing to say step away from my friend drop your weapon stand up slowly or i'm gonna like cut your throat and then but once rowan touches his throat with her blade latchland like bucks upward and like forces him back pushes the green shirt back and then the scalpel like goes through the green shirt's neck and rowan kills him and rowan of course is like she's super surprised because she's like she wasn't going to kill him you know like that was an accident i mean latchland probably did it on purpose but like Rowan wasn't planning on killing him, you know? She was just planning on threatening him. Also, it's really windy today, so if you hear that, that's why. If you hear, like, some whooshing noises, that is why. And so Rowan's just standing there, and she's like, I cannot believe I just killed somebody. Because, like, when you're reading books like this, and just, like, watching TV shows and just works of fiction in general, where people die... You know, you never really think of, like, how just, like, baffling and rattling it might be to kill somebody. Because in some instances like these, it seems so normal for a person to get killed. But, like, if you think about actually doing it yourself, it just... It sounds awful. And so Rowan is standing there in shock, and Latchland is like, Hey, we need to leave. It's not safe. And... Um... Finally, Flame walks in, the woman who did Rowan's surgery, and she's like, you should not be standing. And Latchland's like, there is not much of a choice. And so, Flame is like, not really like, oh my god, there's a dead green shirt on the floor, and like, Latchland literally just got shot in the arm, you know, she's kind of like worrying about money, and she's like, how am I going to cover this up, you know? How how am I going to go about this? And <laughs> Rowan is literally like, yeah, she's, like, kind of insane. Because <laughs> the fact that that's what she's worrying about is a little concerning. And so, um, finally, Flame is like, you know, just be safe, don't go anywhere, you don't want the eco-pan knowing about. And so Rowan realizes that she can't go to the underground, because obviously she doesn't want the eco-pan to know about the underground. Um, but then she realizes that Lark will take her in. And that's where it ends. So we're gonna quickly get started on chapters 23 and 24. Chapter 23. She took me by her home on one of our nights out. I remember gazing at the small, comfortable residence. Most houses in Eden are connected. Apartments built around a, built around a courtyard are rows of, of upper-story apartments in commercial districts, but hers was like ours, detached from its neighbors. It was much smaller than ours, but as we stood outside, our shoulders touching, her lilac hair brushing my dark locks, I thought that it looked so warm and homey. Even at that late hour, there was a golden light in one of the windows, where... She said her father was working far into the night. This is where Latchland and I go when we flee Serpentine. Are you sure you'll be able to stay? He asks. She'll let you and keep you safe and secret? I'm positive, I say. We make sure Flint's order that we never see, re that we never see each other is rescinded? Of course. I'm not completely happy about this. What choice do we have? 
It's not like I have a lot of first child friends. Take this, just in case. He tugs up his shirt and pulls his gun out of his waistband. I back away a step. I can't, I stammer. My mother, I know, he says, so gently, and he brushes a strand of hair from my cheek. But if the worst should happen, maybe this will keep you from sharing her fate. I squeeze my eyes closed, but reach for the gun. I don't know how to use it, I say as I heft its unfamiliar weight. It is small, but dense. He shows me how to slide the gun from its form-fitting holster. I'm so ignorant, I think it's part of the gun. And where the trigger is. Finger off the trigger until you're ready to fire, like this. He demonstrates, cupping my hand, laying his forefinger over mine. I don't think I'll be able to use it, I protest, but he shakes his head. You don't know what you're capable of. None of us do until we're put to the test. But you've been tested a lot lately, and you've shown. Back in Serpentine when that green shirt was going to kill me and you- Don't, I say sharply. I can still smell the blood. I think I will forever. I don't want to think about what I did. I try to tell myself that it wasn't really my fault, that I would have only threatened the green shirt, that he only died because Lashland shoved him upward. An accident. Forgivable. But I know in my heart that if he hadn't dropped the weapon, if I really thought he was going to ignore my threat and kill Latchland, I would have plunged the knife into his throat deliberately, an act of will. The knowledge frightens me. So does the way I don't make Latchland take the gun back, but instead slip it under my own shirt, where it presses, cold and hard, against my belly. I have things inside of me I don't understand. Things I don't like. But they're things that are useful, that will keep me and the people I care about alive. When he's about to leave, I experience a moment of panic. <clears throat> Stay with me. He shakes his head. You can pass with Lark's parents. You've got the eyes for it. He winks his own second child eyes at me. I haven't even seen them yet, I say. There wasn't exactly time to look for a mirror when we were under fire. How are they? I expect him to say they look just fine. Maybe even to call them beautiful. Call me beautiful. Instead, he cocks his head and ponders far too long for comfort. They're... Not you. I feel myself crumble. I don't want the stupid lenses. I just want to be me, safe and happy. I hang my head so he can't see my eyes. Latchland takes me by the chin and makes me lift my head. Makes me look at him. Rowan is inside. You're not all this. He makes a sweeping gesture that encompasses my body from head to toe to head again. You're this. His palm comes to rest on my heart. I can feel it beating wildly against him. He pulls me closer, but only kisses me on the forehead. It's almost dawn. Get inside. I'll come back for you after dark. Without another word, he strides purposefully away, and in a moment he's lost in the night's last darkness. I turn to knock. And as I do, I see what, and as I do so, I see a light in one of the rooms, softened by a curtain. It's not the same window I saw illuminated before, Lark's father's room. The curtain moves, and I see a glimpse of a face. Is that Lark? Did she see Latchline touch me? Kiss me? I knock and wait. And wait. When the door finally opens, it's not Lark, but a woman in her forties, face a little puffy from sleep her long, fair hair tied in a hasty knot on the top of her head. Yes? 
she asks, more in curiosity than concern. I... I'm a friend of Lark's, I managed to choke out. Even though I know I cleaned myself thoroughly in a public convenience on the way here, I feel an overwhelming desire to, che to check for telltale smears of dark red dried blood. I force myself to look at her, to look pleasant, normal. An odd hour for a social call. Her voice is that bit of a twang common in the outer circles. I never noticed it in Lark, but of course she's been going to school here. Are you early or late? What? I ask, confused. Up early to study for tomorrow's test or out late from last night's party? I... I gulp. Early? Right, she drawls. Don't worry, none of the parents talk to me, and I'm sure yours are no different. I won't be blabbing to them. Was it a good party? I can't think of an answer, and she laughs, standing aside to motion me in. Get your story straight before you try it on your parents. When I'm inside, I feel a heavy pressure pushing against my eyes. I'm going to cry. I can't cry ever again. If I do, I'll never stop. It's just... I know I don't have a lot of experience. Maybe every house feels like this. But Lark's place is somehow so obviously a home. There's a warmth, a smell of last night's cooking. There's a feel to it that I can't define. An aura of love, of safe, or of safety, of family. It's not much, Lark's mom begins, almost apologetically. It's... It's perfect, I say, so ardently that she laughs. Let me see if Lark is awake. She probably is, just like her namesake. I feel like she never slept for the first three years of her life. Up with the Larks. Lark! She shouts. Your friend is here! I flinch at the sudden volume of her voice. Won't you wake her dad? No, he's night manager at water reclamation. Water flows by sun and moon, as he always says. She rolls her eyes, but she's grinning, thinking about her husband. I bet they love each other and get silly together. I bet they're completely and totally happy. I'd like to see them together. Lark comes out, looking fresh-faced and awake. The only sign of her ordeal is the fact that she's wearing long sleeves. I know they hide the bruises she received during her capture and interrogation. I forgot we were going to... Study, I fill in, and then before she can accidentally introduce me by my old name, I hold out my hand to her mom and say, I'm Yarrow. River, she replies. I can call you by your first name? I ask, surprised. I've been tutored in politeness for the day I would finally be out in the world, and I wasn't expecting to be so informal. She gives a little shrug. Outer circle folk like us don't tend to be sticklers for the rules. There's a note of defiance in her voice. She wants to remind me that she and Lark aren't privileged inner circle people. It makes me wonder again why there are poor and rich why there are inner and outer circles, why some have everything they could want and more, and some are literally starving. Eden isn't just supposed to be a shelter against the dead world, a place of survival and hibernation. It should be a utopia. There's no reason for any quality. The lark drags me away to her room and that conundrum slips away. The second the door closes behind us, she has her arms around me, her head resting between my neck and shoulder. I remember, she says. They said I wouldn't, and it was all a bit blurry for a, for a while, but when it wore off, I remembered everything. She turns her head, pressing her lips to my throat. You were so brave, so strong. You saved my life. 
She pulls back, looks into my eyes, and gasps. Your eyes! They... She doesn't say anymore, but I can see disappointment in her, in her face. Was I just something exotic to her? A strange-eyed second child? Even though she lived in the inner circle, she mingled with the poor, the bestial, the odd. Was I just another oddity on her list? A way for her to feel special? Now that I can pass as a first child, am I just like everyone else? Lark seems to sense my mood. I have just the thing to clear you up. I mean, cheer you up. <laughs> Oopsie. So you lost a little color in your eyes. We'll just have to give you more color somewhere else. She sits me down in her bed and picks a contraption out of a small chest. I used to change my hair color all the time. Now I'm pretty set on this shade. She twirls a lock of her lilac hair. But sometimes I put in a streak for something different. She sits me down on the floor and perches on her bed, a knee on each side of my shoulders, my hair in easy reach. Now, do you want to pick for yourself, or do you trust me? I stiffen. Stop asking me that, I think. But once her hands start to caress my hair, I lean back into her and relax. She takes this as an, as an asset. Ultramarine, I think, with a little bit of turquoise and jade. Nothing underwhelm—I mean overwhelming, and mostly underneath. I want your natural dark hair to dominate. She strokes the machine along strands of my hair, combing it out with her fingers. I wish this could last forever, me with my head on her lap, safe under her care. But nothing lasts. There, she says finally, and jumps up to bring me a hand mirror. At first, I hardly notice any difference. Shake your head, she instructs me. I do, and the color suddenly emerge, vivid streaks in my dark hair. I love it, I say honestly, but my gaze keeps being drawn back to my dull, flat, lifeless eyes. The hair can't make up for that, but I don't want to say that to Lark after she's been so kind. She must be looking at my eyes too, because as she looks at my reflection over my shoulder, she asks, how did you get them? I... It's probably better that I don't get into it. The more you know, the more they'll think you're a dangerous liability. Are they going to kill me for having contact with you? No. Latchland will take care of that. Latchland. She repeats the name as if tasting something bitter. Where did he come from anyway? How well do you know him? He saved my life. You don't know him as well as you know me, though, do you? She sounds younger, smaller, weaker, not her usually vi vibrant and confident self. Do you trust him? I resent her questioning. He's not the one who let the center know about my mother. I snap before I can stop myself. He's done everything possible to keep me safe. Can you say the same? How dare you, she seethes, stepping back from me. I'm taking you into my home. I'm putting my father, my whole family, myself included, at terrible risk to help you. I made a mistake of trusting other people, I know, and there are no words to tell you how sorry I am. But I meant well, and I'll never trust anyone again. No one except you. Her voice has grown steadily softer, her anger dissipating. She glides closer to me, but this time I'm the one who takes a step back. Trusting anyone is dangerous. You can trust Latchland too, I say. Oh, really? What did you have to do to get those lenses then? Nothing. What do you mean? I saw you from my window. He looked like he owned you. You looked like you didn't mind being owned. 
That's not the Rowan I know. Is that what this is about? Me and Latchlan? I don't want to fight. I'm tired, so incredibly tired, and hardly even know why she's mad. If anyone should be mad, it's me. But I'm here because I need her to help, to help Latchlan and me save Ash. I'm not the Rowan you know. I'm not Rowan anymore. I'm Yarrow, and I'm going to bed. Before she can say another word, I throw back the deep plum-colored covers of her bed and slide in. I pull them resolutely almost all the way up to over my face as I turn toward the wall. We'll meet Latchland after dark, I mutter and close my eyes. Be ready to put your plan into action. Rowan, there's something I've been meaning to tell you. It just never seems to be the right time. What could she tell me? How sorry she is again? Exactly what she feels for me? I really don't want to hear it now. I pretend to fall asleep quickly. All the while, I don't hear Mark Lark move. Finally, I do fall asleep. I know, because at some point I'm awakened by another body sliding under the sheets beside me. She doesn't embrace me, doesn't touch me. But she's there, the warmth of her body filling the bed. But against my stomach, the gun is still cold as death. Chapter 24 I sleep all day, and at night I take Lark to the location I told Latchland we would meet him. A little takeout place with enough traffic to make us completely inconspicuous. But when we arrive, there's no sign of Latchland. As we wait, I look longingly at the takeout, kebabs redolent with salt and synthetic fat, because I haven't eaten in forever. I feel like at any moment will be too obvious even here, standing for a long time without buying anything. It's apparent that Lark and I are waiting, impatient. I thought you said you trusted him, Lark snaps. I do, I assure her. Maybe. But the list of maybes is too long, and for the most part too terrible to articulate. Maybe he was captured. Maybe Flinch turned against him. Maybe, now that he knows that Flame can make convincing lenses, he's decided not to risk his life helping me save Ash. Maybe he'll convince her to help the second children. Maybe he'll even turn her over to Flint for his particularly unpleasant brand of convincing. We can't wait any longer, I say at last. So with great reluctance, I leave the rendezvous site and make my way to my house. I know the heart is just about pumping blood, an engine and nothing more. It's not the seat of emotions. The repository of love and hope and happiness. All the same, when I stand at the base of my courtyard wall at the sheltered side where no one else can see and look up at the walls that held me in all my life, the walls that held everything I knew and loved, I swear it is my heart that hurts. A pain that must be physical seems to stab me in the chest. Home. Without mom and Ash inside, it really is nothing more than an empty shell. Still, it was my shell. Give me about ten minutes, I tell Lark. Maybe fifteen. With luck, he's not home. He used to work late all the time, but now I don't know. I'll let you in the front door. What if he is home? Lark asks. I don't know. I do, Lark says, and I'm surprised at the fury in her voice. If he's there, he needs to be punished for what he did to Ash. And to you. My father, who hated me, who betrayed his own son to the center, deserves to be punished. If Latchlan were here, so strong and capable, with so much violence lurking just beneath his usual joking exterior, 
he would willingly be the one to meet it out. But could Lark? Could I? I find myself hoping he'll be out. Not because I wouldn't relish the sight of Lark beating his face to a bloody pump. I mean pulp. <laughs> but because I would. That frightens me. What am I turning into? Whether he's home or not, I can get in silently. I've spent a lifetime doing it. Then after I let you in, we can get his credentials. With them, we'll be able to move anywhere inside the center. When my fingers curl around the first handhold, I feel that stab again, but I take a deep breath, which turns into a sigh and start to climb. I can feel her eyes on me, but I don't dare look down. I'm barely holding on. Literally. The outside of the wall isn't as intimately ingrained on my memory, my fingertips, as the inside. But still, it's connected to some of the happiest moments of my life. The bittersweet ending to each clandestine night with Lark. All the more bittersweet because of what came of our friendship. Each touch of a new rock beneath my hand seems to spark a new memory. Lark's showing me the stars from the rooftop. Lark's kiss. After tonight, I may never see her again. I'll be embedded in my mission, under my new identity. It's probably for the best. I can't look at her without thinking how her careless trust of the wrong person cost my mother her life, and ultimately condemned Ash to his death sentence. I know she didn't mean to, that it tears at her almost as much as it does me. Still, it might be best that we're going our separate ways. At least I'll still have Latchland helping me with my mission. Don't cry, I tell myself firmly as I climb down on the inside. All your tears are already shed. Now it's the time for strength. My feet hit the moss inside the courtyard, and in an instant I feel caged again. What if I'd never ventured outside of my familial prison? What would have been different? Would I have found a way to grasp at happiness? I managed to walk across the springy moss Mom tended to so lovingly without a single salty drop falling. Sure, my eyes are already heavy and wet, but that's just from the surgery. I let myself into the house. Everything is just the same, as if I'd never left. I half expected new locks, a regiment of green shirts stationed inside. At the very least, some sign of chaos. Broken knickknacks, an overturned chair, an unwashed dish left on the countertop in a moment of grief or even distraction. Dust. But everything is perfect. Just as if Mom is still there, ruling so sweetly over the family. I move through the quiet house, touching things, smelling Mom's side of the sofa, the place where her ponytail would rest when she flopped down after a long day at work. And I listen for the sound of my father. The house is silent. Cautiously, I creep toward my parents' bedroom. There, finally, is a small sign of disruption. The bedclothes are disheveled. Did he forget to make the bed, plagued by guilt? Did he simply not know how to perform a task Mom usually did? Or had he been unable to sleep in their bed since her death? I don't know, but at least something is different. If it wasn't made mostly of stone, I'd like to burn this whole house to the ground. The bedroom is empty, and so is the rest of the house. My father is out. Maybe at work, maybe scheming to destroy something else. Maybe if he has an ounce of goodness in him, getting drunk and nerving himself up to jump off the tallest building in Eden. Bitterness consumes me. A hate that hurts, but I can't fight. I let Lark in. We're alone, I say, and lead her to my father's office. 
We're looking for a security pass. I can only hope that he's not staying late at work, but out somewhere else. If he's at work, he'll have his ID on him. I have no idea what we'll do then. We might also need other security codes to pass center security. Latchland would know exactly what we need. I'm not so sure myself. Where is Latchland? I start to go through various documents in my father's office. Can't you find it? Lark asks, glancing anxiously in the direction of the front door, listening for sounds of approach. I'm beginning to panic that I won't be able to find it. What if he still has it on him? Do we wait for him to come home and take it from him by force? Finally, I find it, shoved half ha haphazardly in a drawer as if he just wanted to get rid of it in a hurry. I've got it! I cry excitedly, holding it up. I think this is all we need. My father doesn't seem to be, to be very security conscious. Then let's go, she says urgently. He could be back any minute. I want to see if there's anything else useful here. I don't know what else we might need once we're in the center. I also wonder if there might be anything incriminating in here, leverage to use against my father. Or maybe something that would be useful to the underground. I scan each page as quickly as I can. Come on, Lark says anxiously, bouncing on the balls of her feet. But it's too late. I hear the doorknob turn, my father's heavy tread, stumbling. I reach under my shirt and touch the gun pressed against my navel. No, I say very softly, reminding myself that I'm a good person. Better than my father, at any rate. If he doesn't come in here, if he goes straight to bed, we can slip out the front door. He's talking. Did he bring someone home with him? I step closer to the closed over, but not completely closed, door and listen. It's not my fault. His voice is wheedling, pathetic. I've never heard him sound like that before. It wasn't supposed to happen like that. I wait. There's no answer. He's alone, talking to himself. In here, quick, I say to Lark as I pull the trick bookcase out on its silent and smooth pneumatic hinges. She steps into the secret alcove behind me and I close the door over. Not all the way, though. Once closed, it can only be opened from the outside. If anything should go wrong, I don't want Lark trapped in there. I creep out. I'm being foolish, I know, but I feel like I need to see my father. I haven't decided yet if he needs to see me. I was supposed to be the good example, the man who puts Eden before family, the incorruptible leader who isn't tainted by his family's transgressions. I hear a meaty thud and another. When I poke my head carefully around the corner and look into the kitchen, I see him striking the sides of his head with his hands. Oh, Ash, what have I done? They promised me! He slams his head down on the counter. And when he stands, swaying unsteadily, there's a bloody gash in his forehead. Good, I think. I'm getting used to blood now. Another part hurts for him. Whatever else he is, he loved Mom. And Ash, I thought. I step into the room. What did they promise you? He whirls, and the stench of alcohol hits me hard. For a second, he looks overjoyed to see me. He starts toward me, arms starting to open. At the same time, I stiffen, and he comes to remember how he's felt about me all my life. He comes to an abrupt halt. You're alive. So are you, I counter, my voice low and steady. Remarkably steady, given my inner turmoil. But you shouldn't be. You gave up Ash to save yourself. No, he stammers, 
swaying where he stands. It wasn't like that. The center needs stability, or the circles will not hold. That's what they told me. They said they need an example. I thought they meant me. A good example. He babbles on, slurring and incoherent at times, telling me how the Chancellor told him removing him from the Vice-Chancellorship would be disastrous at this point. Everyone knew that he'd been tapped to fill the position, and if they changed their minds now, if he was brought down by a terrible scandal, it would make the center look weak. So they decided to make my father look like the hero of Eden, the self-sacrificing kind of leader who would turn in his own beloved family for the sake of right and law and the preservation of our precious sanctuary. They've painted your mom as some kind of activist, he spits out the word. No one knows you're our daughter. They think your mother was just part of an underground network of people helping second children. Your mom and Ash. They're telling everyone I turned her in. They... He falls to his knees, overcome. Maybe begging for my forgiveness? They're calling me a hero, he chokes up between sobs. A real hero of Eden. A second Aaron Albaz. How ironic, how fitting, that Dad should be compared to that monster. And Ash, I ask coldly. They said they needed an example. Oh, great earth, I didn't ask questions. I just signed whatever they put in front of me. I was so afraid. I could be executed for keeping you safe. Instead, your own son is going to be killed while you assume the second highest position in Eden. Always protect yourself, right? Almost as if it has a will of its own, my hand creeps toward my stomach, my fingers twitching at the hem of my shirt. I can feel the irregular bulk of the gun beneath my clothes. Dad can't see it, though. Not yet. It wasn't supposed to be that way, he moans, rocking back and forth on his knees. He was supposed to be kept in prison until everything died down, set free somewhere far away from the center. Oh, so you just wanted to ruin his life, shuffle him away to the outer circles where he could starve? A step above execution, barely. I shake my head slowly. You've been a rotten father. Even to the child you actually love. You burned a hole in him while he was still in the wound, and now you're finishing the job of killing him. He looks up at me, aghast. You knew? Recently. Mom told me before the green shirts gunned her down. I sound so hard and cold. My voice doesn't seem like my own anymore. My father winces, cringes, seems to shrink inside himself. What can I do? He asks, He asks, holding up his hands helplessly. But his hands are empty, powerless. There's nothing he can do to make this right, except... I pull the gun out from under my shirt and point it at his head. I expect him to shout, to weep harder, to beg, to lunge at me. But he, just, but he just kneels at my feet, looking sadly up at me, accepting. If he had begged, I would have shot him. But this broken man waiting quietly for the end. I'm so focused on my father that Lark, swooping in behind him, is a blur of movement. She has a heavy lamp in her hand, one my mom never liked but which we kept because it had been her own mother's. With a grunt of effort, Lark hits my dad hard in the side of the head. He crumples to the tile floor, unconscious. Why didn't you let me shoot him? I ask Lark. She doesn't know that I had already controlled myself. You need to have a clear head tonight, she says with a light-hearted wink that reminds me of Latchland. Do you think you'd be calm and collected if you just executed your own father? She's right, of course. She understands me. 
Let's go, I say, and lead her from my house. Latchland is outside, lurking in a cluster of faux palm trees planted near our doorway. Where were you? I demand at the same time, he says. Why didn't you wait for me? Then we both notice I still have the gun in my hand. I realize I don't even know if it's lethal, or will only stun. With my jaw clenched tightly, I tuck it back into my waistband. Do I even want to know what happened in there? Latchland asks. I shake my head. Do I even want to know why you didn't show? I ask him. He flashes me a crooked grin. Probably not. Just a few simple acts of thievery. Me too, I say guardedly. He looks down where the gun is now concealed against my belly. Any other crimes? No, I say, and then after a pause I add, if I'd even consider shooting him a crime. Don't get hard, Rowan, he whispers to me, touching my arm lightly with his fingertips. If the world calls for someone hard, call on me. I'm already broken. Boom! That was chapter 25. Boosh. So, that was a lot. Rowan went back to her house and met up with her father. And obviously other stuff happened, but that's just what happened recently. But, anyway, I hope you guys enjoyed today's episode of the podcast. Um, remember that I post every other day, so the next time you will be seeing an episode will be this Saturday. Um, I always read two chapters every single episode, and be sure you're caught up before I post them. Um, and I will see you guys on Saturday to read chapters 25 and 26. So, bye!